So, uh, let me ask you a question. Has anybody here ever met anybody famous or anybody like really important? Um, maybe a, a couple of you had, yeah? A few hands raised. Uh, anybody that maybe intimidated you a little bit? Somebody that's kind of a big deal? Um, I thought about that question for myself this week and I really couldn't think of anybody that I had met uh, except for a three-second handshake. <laughs> Alicia, you got problems, sister. Uh, except for maybe a three-second handshake uh, with Al Roker in New York City, and it had no effect on me. <laughs> um, that's probably the biggest deal I've ever met. Um, but maybe when you've met that person, you reacted strangely. You don't react the same way you do with other people. Um, most of us, I think, have three basic reactions. Awkward nervousness, over-the-top excitement, or maybe it's somebody you don't like, and you actually treat them with a little bit of disrespect. Hopefully, not too many of you in that third category. Uh, most of us are probably in the first two. Why do we do that? I think we do that because we have an overwhelming awareness of how small we are in the presence of someone who is a really big deal. They sign autographs all day long, and you live in Spindale, North Carolina, right? Um, it's, it's a weird interaction, someone very small with someone very big. Well, now imagine you're a prisoner in another country and you have a chance to meet the king. This is our text today. Joseph's reaction to this opportunity to go before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and meet with him is not that of awkward nervousness. It's not that of over-the-top excitement. And it's not that of disrespect. It is a calm, confident attitude of a patient man who has been waiting for and trusting in the Lord for over a decade. It is the attitude of steel that knows his Lord is bigger than the biggest deal in all of Egypt. Bigger than Taylor Swift. Bigger than Tom Hanks. Bigger than the president. Bigger than Pharaoh. So far, our story, just two weeks back, this is our third week back, third week back in Genesis, if you haven't been with us. And I'm sorry, I did not update the slides, so those aren't right, <laughs> what's coming next. By the way, I just remembered, I had made those earlier in the week, and uh, before I had finished my sermon, and they're not, they're not correct. <laughs> so just ignore those. Um, but uh, this is our third week back in Genesis, and the first two weeks have largely been about suffering. Um, we saw uh, Joseph, who's been in prison now for over a decade, like I said, go from rags to riches and then back to rags pretty quickly. And now he's in prison. The jailer immediately promotes him to like professional jailer helper volunteer guy. And he's over the other inmates, over the other uh, prisoners. Uh, and then there's a couple guys who come in, a cupbearer and a baker who committed some kind of offense. And they have dreams like... Joseph knew all about. Joseph knew what it was like to have some strange dreams. And uh, he interpreted their dreams for them. The cupbearer and the baker got out. The baker was executed. The cupbearer was restored according to the interpretation of their dreams. And Joseph said to the cupbearer, Don't forget me. Remember me. Speak of me to Pharaoh so that I might have a chance to state my innocence, right? Pre plead a, a presidential uh, excuse uh, that he might be released uh, because he, w- he didn't do anything wrong. So <clears throat> chapter 40 ended 
with us learning that the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him, right? Such a sad statement. And so he spends an additional two years behind bars waiting for anything to happen. Joseph's life shows us two incredible pictures. We learned about genres today, uh, especially this one. What's, what kind of genre is this? All right, here's your quiz. Come on, y'all was there. Some of y'all was. What is it? Historical narrative, right? Historical narrative. We are telling the story of Joseph's life, and we learned that it's not prescriptive. The sermon is not be a Joseph, right? Uh, but we do look at Joseph's life, and we learn um, <clears throat> what the Lord was doing. And what we see is how we can suffer for God's glory, and we learn what the Messiah was going to look like when he came to suffer for God's glory. Because Joseph is a constant picture, as many of the archetypes were, towards Jesus, who was coming soon. Uh, Joseph's life starts getting better here in this chapter, but there is still a great deal of suffering to go. And behind the suffering, I'm giving you the same answer that I've given you from the beginning of this study, which is God is sovereign. And he's over it all. He's over it all. He is sovereign over Joseph in the pit. He's sovereign over Joseph on the throne. He's sovereign over seven years of famine. And we won't get all the way into the famine. Like I said, we're going to stop at that verse. I think it's 41 or something like that. Um, And we'll do the rest of the chapter next week. Um, And I'm also going to preach a little bit different today. I, you know, we've got a lot of text since recapping this dream a couple times. Um, I usually try to sprinkle in the, the application as I preach, uh, but I'm going to kind of walk through the text, and then the application is going to be at the end, right? So don't leave. <laughs> Hold out to the end. I know we've got the Lord's Supper to come, uh, so bear with me. But I've got it divided into two parts for us, and they are not on the slides. The first one is Joseph, or Pharaoh's dilemma, and the second is Joseph's solution. Pharaoh's dilemma and Joseph's solution. So Pharaoh's dilemma uh, in the first half of the passage. So we learn immediately that it's been two whole years. Um, the cupbearer left. Joseph waited. Maybe he was optimistic the first few days. But then a few weeks passed. Is he going to tell him, to, you remember me? Talk to Pharaoh. You know, a few months pass. A year comes. Two years come. Maybe he was patiently waiting. Uh, but there was no word from the cupbearer that he made any mention of Joseph to Pharaoh. And we underestimate how long that must have felt, as he's already been in prison for some time. It certainly seemed like all was hopeless. But God. But God. But God revealed himself to the pagan king Pharaoh, the head honcho, the God incarnate Egyptian king who had some sketchy dreams of his own. Right? And it's amazing the things that the Lord does to intervene in the affairs of man. We already saw him do this, though, back in Genesis chapter 20. You remember who the king of the Philistines was that Abraham had an interaction with? His name starts with an A. Abimelech. And they get to this Philistine land, and you know he, he's like, Oh no, what should I do? Let me pull out my old uh, you know, handy-dandy notebook and do what I did before and just say, She's my sister, right? So they do the old sister act. Abimelech whisks her away, and 
the Lord shows up in the middle of the night to Abimelech and says what? You're a dead man. Y'all remember that? You're a dead man because you have Abraham's wife um, in your midst. And they had promised, uh, they'd been promised Isaac, and the Lord was not going to allow that to be interrupted. So he goes to Abimelech himself, and he's doing the same thing here uh, through these strange dreams to preserve the bloodline of Israel. Pharaoh has two dreams, dreams of cows and dreams of corn. They were simpler times. Uh, the first dream, we have seven attractive cows, plump cows. Can't say fat cows, right? That's not PC. They were plump and they were attractive. And, um, <laughs> and then there were seven, I guess we can say ugly, ugly thin cows that came up out of the Nile. So we've got, and this is, you know, scholar, you know, I don't know, cows would cool off in the water, um, a vivid dream, you know. So we've got these cows coming up out of the water, uh, out of the Nile, which was a source of life for them in Egypt. And the ugly cows eat the big plump cows. And he wakes up and he's like, whoa, what was that, right? Falls asleep again. Then he sees these big, beautiful ears of corn. And it's like that good Carolina corn, right? Um, Sweet corn casserole, right? Come on. Y'all know how, (laughs) uh, one of my favorites. Um, And then after the good corn comes seven thin ears blighted by the wind um, that proceeded to swallow up the good corn. And then Pharaoh wakes up, and in the morning, the text says his spirit was troubled. He knew there was something serious about these dreams. He didn't wake up thinking, well, that was weird. Uh, He was sweating. He knew that he had had a divine interaction of some kind, and it scared him, right? And he probably knew that there was a negative connotation to the dreams. The Lord did not come right out and say, you're a dead man because my Joseph is in your prison. Instead, he gives them these Dreams that would make Joseph, or that would make Pharaoh, who was godlike, uh, to feel puny. He can't interpret them. He doesn't know what they mean. Pharaoh's like God of Egypt. He's supposed to know stuff. And now he can't interpret these dreams, but that's why he's got his, uh, his magicians, right? So, um, he calls them over, the wise men, and they could not interpret his dreams either. Three times it says in the text, no one could interpret the dream, not one. And this troubled the king even more. Even his experts were stumped. Meanwhile, we remember Jesus' explanation for why he chose to speak and teach in parables. Why did he do that? Matthew 13, Jesus says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is why I speak in parables, because seeing they do not see, And hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. These dreams came from God. Therefore, only God could give the interpretation of these dreams. And he was not giving them to anybody in Egypt. So Pharaoh needs a drink. A non-alcoholic drink, of course. So he calls his cupbearer and crushes up some good old grapes or whatever and gives them to Pharaoh and the cupbearer remembers something. I met a man in prison when I offended you. Let's not go, go too far into that. But I met a man in prison named Joseph, who is a Hebrew. And he interpreted our dreams, me and the baker. And you executed him and restored me. And he was right about those interpretations. 
And of course, he leaves out pretty crucial details about Joseph being blunt that he did not interpret the dreams, but God gave the interpretation. Uh, the uh, Israelite God, the Yahweh God, the true God. Um, and he also left out the detail that he was supposed to actually tell Pharaoh about this two years ago, right? But that might not be good to bring up right now, so he's going to let that one pass. So the great king of Egypt is in a great dilemma. His power and divinity are being threatened by these strange dreams, and none of his wise men know the answer to these strange dreams. Would he be willing to ask the help of a lowly prisoner? On the one hand, you'd think, well, he has to help. He's a prisoner. You know, he can, he can tell anybody to do anything he wants. He's king. But he would have to admit that he doesn't know the answers. So moving to part two, Joseph's solution, um, the text says in verse 14 that Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. Uh, and I think it was done quickly to stress one, how worried Pharaoh really was about these dreams and maybe a little embarrassed to be asking help from a Hebrew prisoner, right? So this was quickly, rush him up here, don't let anybody see kind of thing. Joseph leaves the pit where he was living and he gets cleaned up, shaves his face, um, puts on some clean clothes. Hebrews didn't really shave, Egyptians did. This was just how you approached a king. Uh, but it's also kind of like he's going in for a job interview, right? He wants to make a good impression got his resume freshened up. Uh, no, he doesn't have himself on his mind, but he does want to be respectful before the king. And here's where you and I would have probably reacted differently in Pharaoh's presence than Joseph does. After a decade in prison for something he didn't do, as a foreigner who didn't even belong in Egypt, who was now given the opportunity to suddenly talk to the king, you'd think he would have responded in the ways that we talked about earlier. Awkward nervousness, overexcited, or even disrespect. But none of that. He cuts his hair, and he goes in before the king. After all, this was only the king of Egypt, not the king of kings. So Pharaoh says, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I hear you've got a way with dreams, Mr. Hebrew. Uh, verse 15, uh, verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And then Pharaoh begins to recap his dream again for Joseph. And that's just one word. That first word, it's not in me. It's just one word in the Hebrew. It's a really, really complex word. You know what it means? It means ain't me. I don't interpret dreams. God has the interpretation, right? I don't have a way with dreams. The Lord does. And though he doesn't use the official term for Yahweh here, the text says, Ha Elohim, the God, capital G, the God will give you a favorable answer. Now remember, this is uh, his first sentence to the king, and he is actually correcting him, saying that I don't interpret dreams, but my God, the true God, interprets dreams and implying that there is a being and a divinity more powerful than Pharaoh. Pretty bold move for your first words before the king, right? It's amazing. Well, Pharaoh recaps his dreams. He adds a couple more details. He says the skinny cows were uglier than he'd ever seen in any other cow before. And he says that they were just as ugly after eating the plump cows, like they didn't puff up. 
They stayed ugly and thin after eating the cows. And he adds that repeated phrase again at the end, mentioning for the third time, no one was able to interpret the dreams. No one was able to interpret the dreams. No one was able to interpret the dreams. After that final disclaimer, Joseph responds, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. No one was able but one. And here is a reminder of how Joseph so beautifully points us to Jesus Christ. There is a dilemma on their hands that gives clues to some kind of bad news. There is a threat that needs to be addressed immediately. The only problem is they can't fix it. They are lost. They are clueless. They have no way of escape. No one in all the land of Egypt can fix it. They don't understand it. They can't get out of this. They're lost. But God, who formerly spoke through the prophets in these latter days, has spoken to us through His Son. And what has He said through His Son? Ephesians 3, 8. Paul, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. The mystery has now been made known through God's servant, one man, the one whom with he was most pleased, Jesus Christ. He came being able to fully interpret the mystery hidden for ages, how man can be made right with God. And it would be only through his blood shed. None of us could reverse the curse of sin and death, so God provided his own way of escape. The unsearchable riches of Christ have been made known to us for the forgiveness of sin, the washing of blood that you and I might find redemption in Jesus Christ and his cross. Joseph was not Jesus, but Joseph goes before the king, risking his life to do what no other man to do, could, what could do, to prevent death and destruction for thousands. And he points us to the good news that awaits in Jesus who prevents death and wrath and destruction for millions. The mystery has been revealed. Do you know the mystery revealed through Jesus Christ? I invite you to come and believe on him today so that you might sing all those songs we sang earlier with a little bit more brightness next week. Be born again. Hear the good news. Search the unsearchable riches of Jesus. Only God could interpret the dream And to Joseph only did God give the interpretation. Here is the interpretation. Seven thin cows, seven dried up ears of corn. What are they? Seven years. The dreams are one, he says. Seven years of famine. They're going to have good seven years first, seven years of plenty, abundance. But then right after that will come seven years of poverty, seven years of hunger. It will consume the land so badly that the plump and good old days won't even be remembered. It will be very severe. Well, why was there two dreams? Joseph answers that too. The doubling of the dreams means this. 
God has fixed it. And it will soon take place. It's doubled to show that there is nothing you can do to stop it. Pharaoh isn't God. God is God. And behind every king of earth is the king of kings who sovereignly rules and reigns and brings plenty and brings famine whenever he pleases and however he pleases. Joseph knows this is not exactly the good news Pharaoh was waiting for, but thankfully Joseph had time to read while he was in prison and he picked up a copy of Dave Ramsey's Money Makeover, right? (laughs) And he's got a plan, right? And he's not suggesting that he would be king or he would be overseer, but he says, listen, seven years, 20% over seven years, we can do this. We can do this, right? We've got seven years of good. Let's take one-fifth of all that we have to save up for the rainy days. Appoint someone who can make this plan happen, a wise overseer uh, who can go forth and, and do this. And again, I don't think Joseph was applying for that position, <clears throat> but it was obviously a good idea. And next week we'll see that Pharaoh thought it was a good idea too. But for today, let's try to make sense of these dreams and what this text implies for our lives today. Uh, three applications. <clears throat> the first is this. God is sovereign over nations and kings. God is sovereign over nations and kings. Sounds like a given. I hope it sounds like a given to you. Um, and the thing is, though, we believe that, but we don't believe that. We, we say we believe it, but... We don't act like it. Joseph knew Yahweh was greater than Pharaoh. Pharaoh could have had him killed in an instant if he didn't like what he had to say. But he trusted the Lord. He knew God was bigger than any ruler in Egypt. And so did Jesus, by the way. When Jesus was being put uh, on trial to be crucified, and Pilate, uh, the governor, the Roman governor, uh, came to him and said, Listen, like, let me take you aside. We need to chat. Where are you from? And Joseph, or, uh, Jesus had already explained earlier, my kingdom's not of this world. Um, but here, uh, Pilate is questioning him again, and Jesus remains silent. He doesn't say anything back to Pilate. And Pilate says this. He says, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And what does Jesus say? You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So God is sovereign over all, over all the authorities of the world today and forever. God put them there. God put Abimelech as king of the Philistines, Pharaoh as king of Egypt, and every king of every nation since that day. He elected Donald Trump in 2016. He elected Joe Biden in 2020. Anybody want to rear up against that one? So when bad things happen, and they do happen, we want to blame the authority figure. And usually, the authority figure is part of the problem. But God ordained it to happen before they ever got the bad idea in the first place. Do you guys watch the news? Good. (laughs) First of all, don't. Second of all, You know what the purpose of the news is? Is it to make you happy and motivated? 
Or is it to make you question the God of the universe? (laughs) Uh, It's to make us anxious and to make us frustrated. It polarizes us and makes us pick sides. You don't want to be on the wrong side of history, right? You better do the right thing. You better interpret this news the right way. Here's your headline for today. Kings die. God is eternal and unchanging. Kings and politicians don't make history. God makes history. And when we get that backwards, we crumble the moment anything bad starts to happen. If we zoom in even further, you know, the national stuff and international stuff is just a big playground we can play around in for a long time, right? But, you know, he's also sovereign over the church. And he's sovereign over each and every one of you and your lives, every part of it. He's sovereign over churches. He's sovereign over denominations. He's sovereign over the Southern Baptist Convention. He's sovereign over every church in Rutherford County. He's sovereign over this church and every event that's ever taken place at this church, every member that's come in, every member that's left, every sermon that has gone forward in this pulpit, sovereign over the glory days, sovereign over the days to come. And that should give us some hope, dadgummit. Right? Zooming in even further, he's sovereign over your life, sovereign over what happened last week, sovereign over the bad news you got, the good news you got, the day you overslept, the the day you said that terribly rude thing to someone and you can't stop thinking about it. Your spouse, your family, your children, your grandchildren. There's not one part of your life that God is not bigger than and has authority over. And he's the same God who paved a way of escape for Joseph and the people of Israel through the means of suffering and a long story of pain. Don't get caught up in the mess. Look and behold the glory of God and consider Him in every event. Number two, God's plans are fixed. And that word fixed in the Hebrew means to be established, to be, to be made known, to be permanent. And that phrase stuck out strongly in verse 32 and we saw that This plan of the Lord was fixed. There's nothing Pharaoh was going to be able to do about it. It was a done deal, signed, decreed, ordained, written in stone. When God speaks, he speaks with unrivaled power and authority. His plans were not interrupted in the Garden of Eden. When Eve bit into a fruit, his plans have never been interrupted. God has never once said, I did not see that one coming. And this, obviously, in case you want to go there, does not mean we're robots. Right? Uh, what it means is God is awesome. That's what it means. And, and He's over everything. Um, and God still reveals fixed plans, established plans, His will, His decree, His ordination. He still reveals those things to His people so that we can do something about it. Not in dreams or special revelations or pie in the sky kind of stuff, but He reveals them through His Sufficient, lacking nothing, holy word. And you know what his word says? His word says, let the nations be glad. His word says every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow at the coming of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Every corner of this earth will come to know the unsearchable riches of the gospel of Jesus. It also says a lot of stuff about persecution and trial and bad things. But my point is that we know how the story ends. That's what we brought up today, one of the best parts about apocalyptic literature, right? 
We know how the story ends. Why does God tell us how the story ends? So that you can go make disciples. Go make disciples. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. Teach them to observe all that Jesus said. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a commission. We have a mandate. We have a clear directive of Christ to go and make disciples based on the fixed plans that God has already put in stone to reach every nation with the good news of Jesus. So what are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? Does God not have a fixed plan for your neighbor? A fixed plan for your family member, your co-worker? And he's put you in their life to do something about it. Tell them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Tell them about the mystery that has been revealed. And lastly, number three, God uses people who wait patiently and faithfully for him. God uses people who wait patiently and faithfully for him. I've told you this many times. The greatest application a preacher can give sometimes isn't go do this thing, but it's look at God. Look at God. My main job is to make you see who God really is as he's revealed himself in his word. Kent Hughes uh, says, God's choice servants have always been informed and defined by their view of God. How you view God changes your entire life. Either he's big or he's really little. And I'm here to tell you that he's far bigger than any of us could possibly begin to fathom. If you think you understand God, something's wrong with you. Also, if you've given up trying to understand God, something's wrong with you too. Because what we're given is this big view of God to be captivated by his inexhaustible majesty, power, authority, wisdom, goodness, so that we won't have any problem approaching Pharaoh. You know, these are the types of folks that Jesus uses to patiently and faithfully build his church over an entire generation, right? The types of folks who show up week after week and serve with gladness when they see little fruit. They keep sharing the truth with that one friend, even though the conversation usually goes poorly. They keep doing the hard things that might make them unpopular, might make them called a liberal, might make them called ultra-conservative. But we keep doing them for the sake of the gospel and fidelity to Jesus. We labor, pouring ourselves out faithfully, knowing that in time there will be a harvest of righteousness to reap. What are you doing here at Main Street? What are you sowing here at Main Street? Do you believe in a big God or do you believe in a little God who doesn't really do that much? You know what we believe? We believe in a God who became a man and dwelt among us and we saw his glory on the earth. And you know why he became a man? He became a man so that he would have flesh that could be broken and blood that could be poured out. And that's exactly what he did. So that you and I could see the wrath of God on the cross and then see it removed for sinners who place their faith in him and go forward confidently knowing his glory, his goodness, his power and authority and his fixed plans that are good. 
Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.